Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome back to Critical Thinking Required. You're with Tim Bickmore and my two colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. Today we want to talk about how small business can differentiate from large blanking companies. Um, you can insert whatever words you want into that if you'd like. But uh, the overall objective here is to talk a little bit more about human capital. So small, com- small businesses dealing with their human capital versus really, really large companies dealing with their human capital. And it's, it's really became a topic for the three of us and actually at our firm in, in this crisis, just thinking about how we've seen people be laid off or furloughed and how companies are kind of reacting. And it just made us want to talk about kind of some of the benefits of small business, also benefits of large business, but talk about the differences between the two. Um, so guys, I'm just going to kind of start, you know, start that off and whoever wants to jump in and kind of get the ball rolling um, is more than welcome to. Yeah, I mean, we we have roughly at this point about a dozen clients um, that have lost their jobs uh, or been furloughed, which uh, I, I know is actually probably not that many from a scale standpoint, but to those 12 people, that's that's enough. And that, that kind of got us thinking about this subject matter more because there's some there's some realism that probably needs to be talked about. But this like for me, this is a hard one because I. I always have the viewpoint, and and I know that other gentlemen on the on this phone with me too feel the same way. In being business owners, which is where we're coming from on some of this perspective, is that you know people come first, and there are businesses of all different sizes, of all different industries, that in some cases I'm blown away by the extent that they are going to maintain their human capital, and in some cases I'm really disappointed to see how quickly or harshly they cut that cap, that human capital. And a lot of it relies on obviously the culture of the company. And a lot of that lies on the corporate structure of that company, which I'm glad to have Nathaniel on, on this call too, to talk about that because that, that enters into a whole nother segment of this conversation about why, what we look at it is that that's a big factor we look at when we actually want to look into owning a particular business. Um, that he's very equipped to talk about, but for me, it's been it's been tough to see people uh, discard situate discard people in situations that don't necessarily uh, uh, need to be discarded. And some of that might be, of course, the sustainability of that business, and some of it again is a cultural thing. And how they go about doing those furloughs and layoffs is really critical. Well, and I think Dan, which is interesting, and this kind of comes um, from my own mindset of I don't, I guess not from like an academic standpoint, but maybe just a rational standpoint is what's, what's interesting is, you know, with LBW, for example, you know, we have two employees and the three of us, and it's very easy to focus on the individuals at our company and make sure that everybody's successful. And I think that we've always had the mentality and the um, approach that we'll probably never be a large company from an employee vantage point. But what, what, but what we'll always will have is that we're kind of all Sherpas on a, on a mountain, right? I compare it to try to climb Everest. So if our, one of our employees falls, it's going to start taking everybody else down potentially because that's how important human capital is within our firm. Now, if you take it to a larger scale, right, a big business, we're talking thousands, even up to tens of thousands of employees, 
all of a sudden you in my mind and, and again i've never ran a company at that level or that scale but it becomes maybe looking at things from a population perspective and not an individual standpoint because you just can't so, you know it's do you save one you know kill one to save a hundred or do you kill a hundred you know and it, and it's it becomes that what evil do you pick um and it's which fascinates me just from like understanding the theory like a theory of the firm how does that work how do you how, what are the incentives behind that where do you start making those decisions and i think my point here is that small businesses have the opportunity to actually worry about the individual because they have the capacity to do so now not all companies are going to be able to keep employees especially on a small business level just because if they don't have revenues it's just difficult and that is the inherent risk of working for a small company um, but they definitely will probably have a closer tie to you and want to help as much as they can. But I am actually kind of interested in hearing Nathaniel's thoughts because he's, you know, on the back end of this has talked quite a bit about um, different ways to circumvent that at larger scales. So, Danny, what are your thoughts? So uh, this has kind of been influenced. This is I should say it's really been influenced my thoughts on uh, a few books that I've read. Um, one I'd like to mention first is. Sam Walton's Made in America book. This was a book that was written by the founder of Walmart and, well, I should say ghostwritten. And in this book, he really cared about his employees. He viewed them, he didn't call them his employees, he called them his associates. He viewed each and every member within each and every Walmart as, as they expanded as critical to the growth of Walmart. And he valued them. And I think that one could argue that maybe Walmart has kind of gotten away from that since his passing in the 90s. But, but that's just one example of how the culture starts from the top and it filters down. Uh, one other book that I would like to focus on is Jim Collins' Built to Last. So this was a book that introduced a few concepts that I thought that have really, I think, shaped how I've viewed not only how I, I view that I would like our firm to be built, and I've shared this with the guys, but also how I view that great companies that I want to invest our clients' money in should be. So uh, one of these concepts is how um, you want to find, with a metaphor, the right people to get on the bus. The problem isn't incentivizing people, incentivizing your employees to, to work harder. You need to, before you even get to that point, you need to find the right people to incentivize. It, I think that it is critical for the people at the top of any company, be it a, a large company or a small business, to create a culture that they can then find the right people to then ferment, cultivate, and grow that culture, and maintain that culture for the long term. It really is about the people you hire in the first place. You want to structure any company the right way in the first place. So what do I mean by that? I mean, I, I saw, I really, I saw examples of this when I was in the Marines in that a squad was made up of, of three fire teams and a fire team consisted of four people. 
and each of those four people had a role. And then that fire team had a role within the squad. And then that squad, uh, a certain number of squads then equaled a platoon. And then a certain number of platoons equaled a company and then so on and so forth. And I think that that same mentality can be applied to any company. And when it's applied correctly, I think that when you then mix that with the perpetuation of a great culture, you can have a chance, a probability of success. Because there's that one other variable to the equation that has to come into play, which is luck. But that's an entirely different discussion. But as Tim likes to always say, it's uh, when it comes to in, in to financial planning, when it comes to anything in life, it's about positioning. So if you want to succeed as a, a small business or as small businesses grow and become large businesses, you want to have a great culture that is growing and being maintained properly by a properly structured company with the right people in position to continue that culture even after the founders are gone. So one of the things that you brought up there, Nathaniel, is the Marines example and the structure behind um, your squadrons, which I think is a fascinating topic because there's a lot of military books that have been published and written about um, leadership books, uh, how to structure it, and then relating that back to business. And what I think is just most fascinating to me, and this is me getting a little bit nerdy, is in the military, or especially even special ops, because people really like to focus on special ops because those books are fun to read. They're exciting stories that they're telling. Um, but what's what's fascinating about that is leadership within a squadron in the military is a necessity. It is literally life or death. If you do not follow these rules, someone can die. Now you try to apply that to the business world, that leadership and that cultivation of culture is not a necessity, it is a luxury. So if you have a luxury, it's not forced. You can still have a company and make money without having a solid culture or having solid people beneath you, um, which I think is just a, is, a, is a delineation between kind of the military to the civilian space. And it, I think it highlights that the individual who is, who is running that culture and running that business isn't incentivized necessarily. How, what I always like to say is not thinking backwards, but thinking forwards, is that they know if they create this culture, they get people underneath them that have a similar mindset and, and are on the bus, as you said, then that will just permeate through the company. And all of a sudden, everyone is, is, is likes you, is, is leading, is going with you. And then that will derive revenues instead of trying to create something to derive revenues and then the culture, right? And it's, it's thinking forward like that. The money is a residual effect. It's not the main focus. Um, and it, I would it, argue, I would argue that, that you're absolutely right. I think that we've taken that to heart um, just from the very beginning of the outset of our own firm is that we recognize that that the money, the money was not the focus for us. It never was. Our focus from the very beginning was to find the find clients that wanted to uh, 
create, to, to grow their wealth and to, uh, to develop it in, in, a, in, a, in a smart way for them, to customize that plan for them, to, to see our clients grow. That was always, and, and not just in terms of, of their investments, but to see them grow as, as people who had a solid uh, structure, a solid um, foundation to their wealth where they could then grow to enjoy it and then perhaps have some leftover to give to their, to their beneficiaries. That has always been the mission for us from day one. And we recognize this from the very beginning, understanding that the revenues would flow from there. The profits would come later. And I think it was, I think we're very unique, all three of us, in that, as we always like to say, is that we're very similar, but we, we come at it from very different directions. And I think we all came together, again, from different directions, but we all ended at the same place. The circumstances just came together. It was positioning. We all just happened to be positioned in the same direction. And I think that that's very rare for the majority of, of small business owners. Some come at it from the perspective of wanting to earn $200,000 a year, and then that's it. Some of them come at it from the perspective of saying, I want to retire with $100 million. I want to become a billionaire. But, but what's, what's really supporting that, that, that concept? And I think that one of the least appreciated assets is what we're talking about here today which is human capital. I think that companies severely underestimate the value of their people. And I think there is something to be said with how I think in the, I would argue in the last 20, maybe 30 years that there's been a lot of focus on creating, uh, on growing the profit, growing the bottom line. I think that that's been a mistake. I think that companies have been, have been cutting where they shouldn't be the human capital. I really do. And I think that, that that's coming back to bite us in some fashions. I, I think that we need to pivot and we need to really focus on where I think a company's true value is. And that is the, the people that are driving it. That's beautiful, Nathaniel. And I, I, I got to tell you too, it's, it's really the difference maker is that a lot of times when we're talking about products and services, those products and services can be duplicated but the hardest thing to duplicate is going to be the people that you put into play. And that, that often is the difference maker. Um, I know we, we have to kind of start tying this up. So I'll, I'll go right off that uh, and just, and just say that culture often gets overlooked and it shouldn't be, it, it really is not something to, uh, to undervalue the critical need for a strong, healthy, long lasting culture. And, it is, I don't want to say easier, but um, when you're a small business to implement such culture when it relates to your human capital and, and keeping them uh, as part of the business is not necessarily easier, but it's right in front of you. So it really is, uh, in my opinion, my personal opinion, uh, inexcusable to miss that as a small business because it either means two things. It either means that as the business owner, you, you've set up your business so poorly 
and, and, and don't care enough to do it differently to actually not value that human capital or you just simply don't care. In either one of those situations, speaking as uh, one of three business consultants on, on this call today, um, we want nothing to do with that business owner. It gets a little more gray and complicated when we're talking about larger businesses that do have to care for Amazon for hundreds of thousands of people. It's tougher. But what I find really interesting coming off of some of the stuff that Nathaniel said is we're talking about a spectrum here. And even though it may be more difficult at an Amazon level, or it is more difficult than a three, four person company to manage all that human capital, there's a bandwidth somewhere in between. There's not a set number. There's a bandwidth somewhere in between that culture and proper utilization of that of that culture, the managers that are that are designed to make that play out, you can really expand on how how well you can still do that regardless of your size to a point. Yeah, and I would I would make one one footnote to Dan's comments, which I I do agree with Dan is that, but we all I think the three of us all recognize that in today's current environment. If, if people are letting, small businesses are letting employees go, it, it's understandable. I mean, it's not that you've poorly planned or that things, you know, this is an event that is quite unprecedented. And, and unfortunately, small businesses can get hurt. Now, could you have prepared differently? Maybe it might be the case, but people are getting severely hurt. Um, and, it and it really is dependent on the industry that you're in. You know, fortunately for LBW, we can continue to work. We can continue to do our job from home. Um, it's quite easy, but others such as restaurant owners or bar owners don't have that kind of luxury. Um, and it, it just, it, that can be hard, especially depending on, you know, rent and things in that, in that nature. But Dan does make a, a really solid point with, there are some business owners out there that I don't think emphasize human capital as they should. Um, all right, guys, that's, that's bringing us up to wrap this, this episode. Uh, who would like to start us off, uh, today? Nathaniel? Sure. So this is what I, I would like to say. I think that culture is everything. I think that culture is where it begins and where it stops. When it comes to not just small businesses, but to everything in life, your culture, be it at home or at your, at your business, is a product of the principles that you grew up with as a child. The culture is is what enables you to when you find the right person be it at your personal life or in business that enables you to work together i've been very fortunate on both sides of the table personally if uh, my wife and i didn't share the same principles it wouldn't work that's just fact i'm very fortunate that we do the same thing goes for when i when i found dan and tim when we found each other, it was, it was kismet. Uh, I, I would say that I was very fortunate to find the business partners that I did. And I think that if you don't find the right partners, if you don't find the right managers, if you don't find the right people, the chances of success lessen considerably. I, I think that building off of what Nathaniel's just said, Culture really requires strong communication and uh, 
and it's really on the the top leadership team to make sure that they've done everything in their power to have that trickle to all the elements of their their business so that the communication as to what that culture is, is to look like is there and i think that that will help protect people's security fulfillment uh within their roles and and tim is right i was a little harsh in my comment um Sometimes there is nothing that you can do about it, but preparation is really very important. And by instilling that in other business practices and play before we have a crisis at hand, you may be able to still continue that culture, even in really hard times like we're experiencing now, uh, in some cases beyond you. But at the end of the day, you have to have that culture really put on a pedestal and have it communicated to all aspects of your business. You know, guys, I really hate going last on these because I feel like you both just usually kill it and then I have to come up with something. Um, I, I, I really think the, the thing that I would come away with today is, you know, you're going to read business books and you're going to, again, from, and I really go back to the military side of things because I, I like the military books. and I think that the military has done a fantastic job in processes and overall teachings of culture and leadership and how to cultivate a team and work as a team. But I would go back to in, in the civilian world, in the private sector, it is a luxury because you're not talking about life and death, right? And because culture and leadership and, and, and good leadership is a luxury, it means that you have to put more emphasis on it. You have to continue to work at it. You have to continue to rethink it. You have to continue to push, push, push discipline, consistency over and over and over good when things are good and when times are bad and, and emphasize it through, through all aspects of the business. Because again, you're not walking into a war zone. You may just be walking into a boardroom or you may be walking into a, a client presentation where if it doesn't go well, you still get to go home to your family. So that means you, you have to find a way to make sure you prioritize it and organize it in a way that is effective and efficient. Um, and it's going to be harder and it's not an easy task. You know, we talk about it, but Dan and Nathaniel and I do communicate consistently. We work on it. We have our spats, we, you know, we have our conversations. We don't always agree, but at the end of the day, Nathaniel and Dan are both right. We have the same principles and the same ideals. We may just come at it from different angles. And I would say that my last piece with us specifically, is that we respect each other. And I think if you can find partners that you respect and you respect their opinions, regardless if you agree, don't, it can become a very fruitful situation. But that's all I got. So I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you everybody for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's the three guys talking about stuff they love and hopefully you can listen to us next time. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker, dealer, or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. 
Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.